Thank you for joining today's podcast. AOE President Kimberly Kaler will give a brief overview of her 90-minute crisis communications presentation from World of Concrete. This podcast will give a crash course in all things crisis, including some crisis simulation activities you can bring back to your organization. With that, let's jump in and get started. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I am Janice Kleins, and I'm here today with AOE President Kimberly Kaler, who will be presenting her condensed version of her crisis management and communication presentation that she did at World of Concrete. Kimberly Kaler, CPSM, is president of AOE Advancing Organizational Excellence, a unique consulting firm that invests all profits right back into the industry it serves. With a background as marketing director for two separate engineering firms, as well as time as an account executive in an advertising firm, Kimberly started Constructive Communication Inc. in 2001 to serve the needs of professional service and business-to-business technical firms. In 2018, Creative Association Management and Constructive Communication merged to create AOE. With a client listing of both industry associations and privately held companies, such as contractors, engineers, and product suppliers, AOE provides consulting and association management services. Recently selected as one of the most influential people in the concrete construction industry, Kimberly is co-founder of the Women in Concrete Alliance, WICA. Kimberly is certified by the National Transportation Safety Board in Crisis Communications and is a frequent speaker and business trainer on the topic. Trained by the University of Michigan on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, DEI, she also frequently speaks on DEI concepts and strategy. A frequent public speaker, she has authored more than 2,000 articles and is the co-author of Leading with Marketing, a handbook for marketing and business development professionals. She was the first person in Ohio to earn the Certified Professional Service Marketer designation in 1999, and she still holds that certification designation. From 2009 to 2019, Kimberly served as an adjunct professor in the Integrated Marketing Communications Department at Columbus State Community College in Columbus, Ohio. She received her BA in Journalism English from the University of Arizona and earned her MBA from Compella University. Um, For those of you that have joined us, thank you for joining us. Put questions in the chat at the end and we will answer them for you. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Ms. Kimberly Kaler. Wonderful. Thank you, Janice. And welcome to everybody that is joining today. I'll go ahead and share my screen in a minute. I just wanted to welcome you and let you know that I'm going to do um, a rapid uh, explanation or overview of what I did at World of Concrete this year in June. It was a 90-minute workshop. Um, For those of you that have sat in some of my crisis seminars before, I've added some new content. We learned so much during the last year related to the pandemic. So I've included some new information. Some of it's going to go pretty quickly, but hopefully it's exercises you can bring back to your team. So with that said, we'll go ahead and get started. I wish I had a dollar for every time I said that during the last year with the pandemic, really understanding what each audience needs to know. And there's been a huge shift in terms of how we communicate with different audiences, obviously with the advent of how fast news spreads, um, the importance of needing a plan, and a little um, you know, teaser here, I'm gonna talk about how a habit is not a plan. And many are operating right now with a crisis communication habit. 
And then compassion and leadership. Again, we learned so much during the last year related to what that looks like from a crisis standpoint. But let's start with just defining a crisis. Crisis is a sudden and unexpected disruption that's gonna actually impact your association, impact your business, require decision-making actions, you know, fairly quickly, high levels, has the potential to attract news and attention, um, as well as other parties and stakeholders. See the note here on the bottom, they're emotionally charged situations as well. A lot of emotions get into it. We saw that with the pandemic where, you know, with a, the crisis situation, there was a lot of emotions. Sometimes politics were pulled into it as well. Um, you know, so a lot of things to navigate through. I unfortunately have dealt with a lot of these from fire, um, chemical spills, terrorism, um, you know, Unfortunately, in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of incidents where companies' information has been hijacked, um, you know, from other parties, um, as well as job site fatalities, etc. So there's a lot that we need to consider. Before we dive into what a crisis is, though, and actually identifying for your company, one of the things that I want you to think about is that a lot of crises can um, really be categorized as an issue if they are managed from the beginning and there's some preventative care there. So research shows 95% of crises are predictable. Doesn't mean that you can alleviate them from happening, but with proper planning, you can certainly alleviate maybe it moving from an issue to a crisis standpoint. So what's the difference between a crisis or an issue? The crisis really is when your brand is under threat and an issue is negative, um, but it doesn't necessarily stop business or all of your business, does not require immediate escalation to leadership and does not threaten material impact on people or operations. So this would be a great worksheet for you to do with your team as a takeaway after our session today. What can we learn from the last year? So was COVID an issue or a crisis for your business? And I want you to really think about that because your immediate response may be it was a crisis. But for many organizations, they were able to keep their operations going. Um, they were able to keep their operations going in some cases, maybe even in their office. And I don't wanna diminish obviously COVID and the impact of that being a, a crisis in terms of the impact on humanity. But look at it from a business perspective. Are there any lessons learned there? Um, at what point did it escalate or de-escalate? Um, and if you don't wanna look at it from a, a COVID or a pandemic standpoint, maybe evaluate some other things that happened in the past. Um, that ended up being coming a crisis, how can you look at it and lessons learned from an issue standpoint? So our current situation is really summed up as decision fatigue. And that's my common theme here. So many organizations that I talk to now that we're moving, hopefully onto the other side of this pandemic and um, the Delta variant doesn't um, you know, rear its ugly head more than it already has, is we're operating out of pattern. We're operating out of habit and we have immense decision fatigue. The most organizations built their crises efforts um, March, April last year on the fly. Most organizations did not have any sort of crisis response or crisis plan. And I should say that most did an admirable job as well. Um, they, but what ended up happening for so many companies, associations, different organizations, 
is they moved into reaction mode immediately after they handled the next crisis. So if you can think about it, you know, last March decision, people go home, can we stay open, not gather people, um, you make these decisions and then you wait a couple of days and the CDC came out with something new or maybe your county regulations came out with something different and you had went through the same process again. And we created this, this impact in terms of reaction mode. And we ended up all, many of us having quite a bit of decision fatigue, um, not actually operating from a plan. You may think you were operating from a plan, but in many cases you weren't. You were just gathering again, kind of starting that situation over again. So the takeaway here is for, to look at your efforts from the last year and identify, did we actually operate from key themes, from key organized messages, or do we recreate the wheel every time we had to make yet another decision related to COVID? And again, all of this can be applied beyond COVID. Um, you know, feel free to look through your history of your organization and what other lessons learned and what other crises can you evaluate? So why was COVID so hard? First of all, so many of us had no past experience with crisis planning. There was no single entity to blame, no timeline for recovery. There was no playbook in any way. There was no single coordinated body to look at. Um, and then our own bias we bring into any crisis. That bullet about no single coordinated body actually um, is a real important one because if you compare and contrast a crisis where there's a, a chemical spill or a job site accident, there are some rules of engagement in terms of dealing with OSHA or, you know, kind of rules in terms of what the next steps are in terms of navigating it. It's still incredibly difficult, but um, there are more coordinated bodies to look at. And when it came to the pandemic and COVID, there were so many different um, bodies and organizations that we were getting guidance from. The other thing that was really difficult um, for the pandemic in terms of crisis communications, and this is a really, really interesting way to actually evaluate what your efforts are, um, you know, is that traditional factors of success that you may employ in your leadership style and your management style, how you run your operation actually impede the success of crisis comm efforts. So if you're used to a management style in which you gather facts, you pull in different stakeholders, you, you know, do as much as you can, um, you maybe run some beta tests, et cetera. That's not always possible in a crisis situation. Um, hopefully you can gather the right teams, you can do some sort of exploratory and planning, but it is not, um, you know, not how you would typically launch a product, for example. Um, the best solution may be sought by seeking disequilibrium. So that's tough too. If you're used to management style where you're bringing all the players together um, and hopefully finding consensus or at least some sort of um, collaboration, that's not always possible in a crisis. Sometimes there's some tough decisions that have to be made um, and not everybody's gonna be happy out of it. And then you need to have a really adaptive approach. Um, so if that's not in your management style, that can be difficult as well. So what is the proper communication cycle? Just really dumbed down here. It's preparing, crisis breaks, you have an initial response, you're able to assess the response and the impact resolution, evaluate and evolve. So instead of operating ad hoc, as you may have, 
um, you know, really commit to taking the steps to organizing it. And I'll, I'll detail more what I'm talking about there, but it really comes down to having key messages, having clear lines. Um, you should be able to ask yourself, what do we want people to know about our organization or remember about our organization moving forward out of this? So again, don't confuse habit or pattern with a true planning effort. So what does it mean to be crisis ready? Um, doesn't mean that you can implement things off the shelf. And that was a big lesson we learned during the pandemic. I've been writing crisis communications plans for about 10 years. And I believe we were able to take things off the shelf a little bit easier until it came to the pandemic. Um, and I, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. And I think it's because most of the crises that I've helped organizations with were more business to business. So this happened and this is how we had to navigate through. With the pandemic, we were dealing with, um, you know, let me back up. Also say that a lot of crises usually impact us from a standpoint where we're trying to protect our image maybe with the media or again, maybe with customers or the local marketplace. And the pandemic really forced us to look at so many other different audiences um, and communicate with our employees more than we typically do in a crisis. So there were some really interesting lessons learned there. So elevating readiness for true resilience. Um, you cannot anticipate every potential crisis. You can't, again, alleviate and make them go away, but you can be ready to actually navigate through it. Um, the right mindset and skills and capabilities, and then it does go beyond the plan. It's really important for that team to come together. Another lesson learned in the last year is one size does not fit all. One of the things that became very apparent, not that we ever had cookie cutter plans, but crisis communications is best handled if it truly fits the culture of your organization. Um, and that came through loud and clear. And I think, again, it, in retrospect, a lot has to do because so much of our crisis calm um, activities during the last year were communicating not only with your customers, with your clients, with your members, but also with your employees. So that's really key. Whatever you do from a crisis communication standpoint must fit your corporate culture. And then just a little footnote. During a crisis is not the time to change your organizational culture. We actually had one client that said, hey, now would be a great time since we're communicating with our employees so much that we launched this whole new cultural initiative. Um, and we're like, no, 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 now is not a good time. Your, your employees, especially during a time of crisis, want to um, you know, know that what you are communicating to them fits and actually feels good to who they are and who they know you to be. So an exercise that you can play with in terms of doing a crisis audit, these are just a couple of ideas and it would be actually a great exercise as well as to brainstorm some other questions. But look for areas where you may be vulnerable. Um, who are your board members? Who's the firm ownership? And that's really key in terms of understanding, um, you know, do you have a board member or maybe a firm owner um, that does something slightly controversial or maybe not slightly, but does, you know, are they involved in something that could actually come back on your organization in a negative way? Um, who do they support? What do they do? Um, what projects are you working on? Are you working in an area that may garner media attention? Is there anything controversial? Large salary disparities between leadership and staff. Um, corporate donations can be called under scrutiny. 
A lot of organizations um, in the last year have been called in to explain why they gave money to um, a certain political party um, and what their sentiment was related to that. Um, have you had any employees leave? Um, it's interesting, I, I talked to a social media um, firm uh, a couple of days ago and we work with them on a lot of digital marketing activities. And, you know, he was talking about that they, you know, are hiring different people and they really need to look at their social media presence, which isn't anything new. But if you're hiring someone with a huge social media presence, what are the implications of that? Are any of your clients in the news? Um, so discussing where you may be vulnerable is a really great exercise for your leadership team to do. So creating the plan, hopefully I've impressed on you the importance of not operating ad hoc. Um, first thing is actually assembling the team. And then teams should be charged with taking effective action, both in terms of operating as well as the communication response and assuring the flow of reliable information. Um, and that goes down even to, hey, this kind of information is always gonna come out from HR. This kind of information is going to flow out from marketing, for example. So your crisis team should be diverse. It may include representatives from all of these different organizations or parts of your company or association, or maybe not. The key thing is to have key representatives. With that said, I'd be careful of your crisis team being any larger than maybe seven, eight, nine people. Um, beyond that, it gets a little unwieldy. You can, of course, have other people that are pulled in for the inflammation of tactics. Um, but anything bigger than that, it's really hard to, to bring a, a tight-knit group together with that. In terms of the team, one of the lessons learned is don't assume that your president, your CEO, or your executive director is going to be your spokesperson in all cases. In some cases, they may be, but not always. Um, and the reason for that, and it's, it's Crisis Comm 101 that you get when you are, are trained in Crisis Comm, it was really helpful if you have maybe that senior or that VP level person that is the spokesperson in case he or she misspeaks or something goes a little sideways, you still want that higher level person to be able to come in and correct or modify or adapt. Um, so real good rule of thumb. And if you watch TV news, you'll see that a lot. You may see that you know, if an organization is under scrutiny for something, they may have um, you know, a senior level person speaking, but the higher level person may come in from an empathetic standpoint. Um, and that's actually a really great case study and example. One of the organizations we worked with during the pandemic, their highest level executive um, sent out weekly notes to the board and to the employees. And those notes were really tied more to the culture. They were tied to the empathetic piece, the compassionate piece. And then the HR director was handling more of the information to the nitty gritty. Um, and it became a pattern and people began to expect it. And that was good. It showed, um, you know, different roles. Um, it would have been actually probably strange from a cultural standpoint to have a super high executive director level person sending out nitty gritty details on um, COVID stuff related to HR. So again, consider not everything has to be from the same person as well. So when you are looking at the team, the one thing you need to also do is, is recognize you need to spend time together before a crisis. So you need to see how everybody gels. They need to actually work together. 
And that can be a takeaway from this session today, you know, identifying the team, maybe look at who you pulled in during the last year when you had to make decisions related to the pandemic. And then moving forward as you formulate, or maybe you're just fine tuning your plan, if you did operate from a plan, spend some time actually doing a mock crisis. Um, you know, and I'll give you some examples. Maybe somebody posts something on social media that um, is highly deflammatory, um, shows you in a really poor light. Have your team work out what the steps would be in terms of taking the next steps to respond to that. Also make sure everyone is familiar with the organization's values, the mission, again, that ties to that culture piece. Consider who's gonna be crafting the crisis messaging. I heard a lot in the last year where that, where that decision fatigue came is, oh, I'll write this message, I'll do this one. And you wanna make sure you have a consistent voice. And you also wanna make sure that you've got key messages of your organization weaved in wherever appropriate as well. Consider the assets that need to be created. So whether it's fact sheets about your organization, backgrounders, what can you pull together now? And then also having some media monitoring in place as well. So target audiences, in addition to forming the committee, starting the plan, um, things to consider is really looking at who your stakeholders are. And again, one of the things during the pandemic is most organizations actually communicated more with their employees than they ever have before. And I think that's a good thing. I think some good came out of that. Um, understanding who your stakeholders are and then what your relationship is with them and their relationship is with the brand. What are their expectations of your organization? What can you anticipate? So when you identify what all the different audiences are, hey, if, we're, if we have a crisis, if this escalates, these are the five different audiences that we have. Really understand maybe how you communicate with each of them. Some may be a town hall meeting, maybe the employees, but maybe it's emails to customers. Maybe it's phone calls to certain ones. Um, how are their expectations gonna be met? And how do you put your team in position to get ahead right now? So again, a great exercise you can do with your team. Another way to look at audiences is view them from a stakeholder analysis standpoint. So those that are active, aware, and latent. So active would recognize the problem, low constraint level connected to the problem, aware. You know, so if you looked at this maybe in terms of like a job site accident, the active would be the members that are actually on um, the job site, maybe the other design build partners, et cetera, maybe, you know, and the aware could be neighbors around this project or the community. Latin could be other people, maybe back in a different office, et cetera. So look it through a different lens in terms of what your audiences are and then what's important to them. So diving into that exercise, who are all the audiences you communicate with now? Really looking at who is missing on the list, what's important to each audience. And then understanding how quickly you would need to communicate with the audiences you identified. In many cases, a crisis escalates or maybe it was an issue and it becomes a crisis because the communication doesn't happen quickly enough or maybe it happens with one audience and not another. So the more that you can plan and understand, hey, this happened, let's make sure we let the architect and the engineer know what's going on, not just the contractors and the subs that are on the site, et cetera. Oh, we need to make sure we let people know in the branch offices. It's, if you have that planned out, it's a lot greater chance that you're gonna have success moving through it. So the message and plan, 
asking yourself what your goal is here. Most of us operated so quickly through the pandemic in terms of what our communications were um, that we didn't stop and ask ourselves, you know, what's the memory we want about our organization related to this crisis six months from now? You know, so, so think about that. And it's okay, we, hey, it, it's not, you know, it's saying, hey, um, when we get on the other side of this six months from now, we want the community to know that, yeah, this happened, but we were good corporate stewards. We stood up, we took care of the issue um, and this will be our legacy. So that should guide how you make decisions and thinking things in terms of long-term decisions, not just short ones. And again, that's where that decision fatigue comes in because so many of us were operating and just decision to decision to week to week to week. Um, and how can we look at things longer term? Questions to consider regarding internal logistics. Maybe, you know, what are the procedures for emergency crisis meetings? Who needs to be briefed? Who needs permission to get things done? How do we contact crisis team members? Um, you know, when I started out giving this presentation, um, one of the things we actually had to instruct people to do is make sure you had a copy of your crisis plan outside of the office. Because if the office fell down, the plan doesn't do you any good. Now, obviously, things are in the cloud and we all have things electronically, but think through other examples like that. What do you need to do to make sure that you are set up to be able to navigate? Maybe you have um, something in the cloud with all the crisis information and the contacts, so no matter where people are, they're able to navigate through. And then remind you that we are talking about communications, and that is a form of public relations. The industry I've been in for 25 years, and we tend to forget that crisis communications isn't just stomping out a fire. It is an organized PR effort. It should have key messages and a trained team to actually help get you through. So crafting a response, and this should apply to any statements that you can maybe get ready beforehand, as well as ones that you can um, you know, work on the fly that you'll need to so they're are appropriate to the situation. Um, don't speculate, uh, source the facts. Uh, really, really important to, to, to point that out with the Florida building collapse. There was a lot of speculation and I read a lot of stories of, um, you know, people speculating this is what caused it, that's what caused it, et cetera. And some of our clients, we actually had to help them do damage control because they were dragged into it, even though this, the speculation was wrong. The other thing is, if you don't know, say you don't know. That's really hard from a human nature standpoint. Um, and I can tell you, no matter how many times I prep someone for a media interview, that it's human nature, especially if you're an expert and you're being interviewed as an expert, to when you're asked a question and you don't know the answer, it's really easy to start rambling. It's our human nature. We just start talking, we fill in space, and that's actually where we can get in trouble a lot. So think instead, um, you know, if you don't want to say, I don't know, say, hey, I don't have that information right now, but as we get more information, I'd be happy to, to find that for you. Or that's actually not my area. That um, information would actually come from our financial department. I'd be happy to check with them and get back to you. So that's really, really key to have that practiced and be ready with that kind of response. And then while it's not feasible to script your response to a given situation, 
there is a lot that you can prepare now. And we've had statements prepared. And when there was a situation, we were able to pull them out, dust them off, and pretty quickly edit them. You know, so right now, our primary concern is for the welfare of our employees, customers, members of the team. We're doing all we can given the situation. And everything else is really peripheral at this time. Great statement maybe coming from your senior executive. Again, the second bullet here may be what comes in from that second layer of leadership. What we know about the situation is this right now. Give a couple of facts, tell the media, tell the employees, tell your customers when you will get back in front of them, your members, your clients with more information. How do you communicate? Question we got a lot, existing channels. Email, probably. Now is not the time to try a new channel in most cases, unless you're not actually reaching your target audiences. But if your members are used to hearing from you via email, that's the way to do it. If your employees are used to getting um, some sort of uh, video team meeting from you, that's what you need to do. What you communicate, in addition to your key messages, it's real important to make sure what you um, already have loaded. So for example, one of the things we looked at at the end of last March for our clients is what social media we already had loaded up in the social media systems ready to go to post next week or the following. And really look and see what's appropriate. If you think back to last April, um, once we got past all the emails about how to wash your hands, if you remember that, everybody was telling you how to wash your hands, anyone you'd ever given your email address to. Um, we were start, still getting emails from, you know, maybe a retail outlet. I remember getting something from Old Navy or Kohl's about, you know, buying your swimsuit for the season and all that. That was obviously something that was ready to go before and been loaded and approved. Um, but when you get it, it just kind of filled ill times. Like, hey, swimsuit season, we just got sent home. There's a pandemic going on. Why are you sending that to me? So really look at what you already have out there. Do you have any ads already placed? Do you have any things already planned where the message wouldn't fit anymore? And then establishing your expectations, tell your audience when and how often you will communicate. So politics aside, and I'm not making any comments on political um, sides of the fence one way or another, but many of the governors in our country did an amazing job from a communication standpoint during the pandemic. Um, you know, we all knew what time, um, oh, you know, oh, Governor DeWine in Ohio was always on at two o'clock each day. Um, you know, so that kind of thing. So even if they didn't have a ton of information to share, we all knew this is the time we're going to get the next bit of information. They share what they know and then they say, hey, we'll be back tomorrow. This is what we're working on. So great examples. Another sample statement. Again, if you have this ready to go, it makes a huge difference. A couple of best practices, make sure you're being transparent in all that you're doing, um, centralizing your information. So that may be where you have that um, cloud created where you've got all your crisis information ready to go. Uh, the do not delete comment here really relates to updates that maybe you would be posting on your website or social media. So it, studies have shown that it creates a lot of mistrust if you actually are deleting the old updates. So even if you have an update that says, hey, we just know X, Y, Z, and then two days later you have another update, don't go back and um, delete the old one. Uh, there's a lot of transparency and people like to see that the message is continuing to unfold, if you will. 
Uh, monitoring social media, making sure you know what is being said is key. And that applies in a crisis or a non-crisis time. Um, exercising empathy, making sure your communication staff is trained in that. Um, consistency is key. So making sure changes are communicated across all platforms. So uh, again, though you may be communicating with your employees and your customers in one way and then a different way, having that message available on all platforms is key. And then the biggest challenge most have is waiting to communicate. Uh, we'll, we'll send an update once we have all the information. Well, in most cases in a crisis, you're never gonna have all the information. Um, and I'm not telling you to go out too soon, but most wait and then go out too late. And that's where speculation starts to happen. That's what we saw happen with the Florida building collapse as people started to make up their own stories or they're, you know, they pulled somebody off the street or I think it happened because the foundations were weak, whatever, that story ran for two days. So, you know, keep it in mind to share what you can. Also be sure to saturate your employees with the same information and loud and clear through the pandemic. Again, a lot of crises before this and not across the board, but a lot of them related more to the marketplace, to customers. Um, so employees weren't as big of a target audience. You need to make sure your employees know what's going on and they're not the last to know um, what's happening. Be forthright and honest and then help people understand what you do and what you don't know. So existing, again, communication channels, um, establishing expectations as well. So what happens when you get dragged into somebody else's crises? And that happened quite a bit um, in those early days related to the Florida condo building collapse. Um, different types of construction were pulled in. Um, so I can't give a hard and fast answer on this in terms of this is what you should do. It's unfortunately the answer is it depends, but sometimes the answer is not to engage, but in other cases you may provide the information requested, um, but be sure you don't get sucked down into the rabbit hole. So remember that a lot of reporters, uh, maybe different bloggers are looking for an angle. So they may try and pull in um, other stakeholders, other groups that really aren't involved and try and make a connection there. Again, an exercise to play with is what messages could you prepare now? So maybe spending some time identifying what those are, brainstorming them, um, what info could you assemble? Um, you know, ideas include number of employees, your office locations, listing of jobs, et cetera. So the impact of social media also really ramps up the importance of having a crisis plan. Um, remember that we now are hiring employees that have 10 plus years of social media and internet presence. A journalist will correspond directly with your audiences. Make sure you have a social media policy for your organization. Your employees understand what that is. And we work with companies that have pretty rigid, strict um, social media policies, and we have ones that are actually pretty loose in terms of what their employees can or cannot do. And I don't advocate for one or the other. It really just needs to matter to fit with what your culture is. And then have this last bullet, this statement ready to go and make sure your employees understand that. Um, you know, as a matter of policy, we do not delete comments on our social media channels that are simply critical of our institution. Only comments that are ever deleted are those that include hate speech, vulgarity. It's just an idea, a suggestion in terms of something that you could have ready to go. Wanted to show you a really great example, Seco Concrete. We work with them. They have branch offices all over the country and they have a great social media policy. You can find it in Facebook. I've got it copied right here. 
And they have a lot of traction, a lot of engagement, employees, um, different vendors, other members of the design and construction team. And it's a lot easier to control the social media conversation if you have a policy that's placed there. And it helps guide what you can delete, what you engage with, what you don't. Oh, an exercise you can play with, maybe a great exercise for your crisis team to get to know each other, is to play out what happens if a former employee posts negative comments on your corporate Facebook page. What do you do? So one thing you could play with is a decision tree, which we have here. Um, happy to share this with any of you. You know, positive, neutral, and just following the tree along. You may spend some time with your crisis team as well going through this and figuring out, hey, what would work well? How do we actually navigate through something that would happen? So going through this same exercise, you know, referring to the social media policy, um, maybe take that public posting and move it to private, have HR contact them, delete it, don't delete it, respond, don't respond. Um, so again, I, I hate to be pretty nebulous in terms of my response on this. We unfortunately deal with this probably a couple times a month um, with different organizations where we need to handle something from a social media perspective. But having these discussions ahead of time in terms of how to handle it, having that policy in place, and then here's some ideas on how to navigate through it. So other lessons learned, um, you know, should we post on something? This relates more to DEI than anything else, diversity, equity, and inclusion. A lot of organizations last summer um, wanted to support um, efforts related to Black Lives Matter um, after George Floyd and some organizations that have never traditionally posted anything in terms of social, social justice issues um, did post which was um, a wonderful gesture, but unfortunately, a lot of them were criticized later because their posts seemed to be empty because they didn't actually have any action in place in their organization. So I'm not stating don't do not post things or don't get involved. I just think it's very important that you look at it holistically, encourage you to embrace and look at a diversity, equity, inclusion program. There's so many organizations um, were trying to do what they felt was the right thing, and they were in the hot seat on the other side of it because it was looked as very empty. So asking yourself, do we have more than thoughts and prayers to offer? Does this fit with our brand? Knowing there must be action. Um, and then look at where you're already playing in terms of social responsibility and that authenticity. So if you do need to repair your reputation, some things to look at, um, crisis responsibility. This again was where the team is really gonna come in handy if they've gelled together before. What is it that we want folks to think about us six months, a year, two years down the road after this crisis? Identifying what type of crisis it is. What is our organizational reputation beforehand? How do we wanna repair it? And I'll invite you to spend time actually playing with this exercise as well. What have you seen that has worked from a crisis standpoint? Um, think of an oil spill. Um, think of the Tylenol case. There's so many uh, you know, great examples out there that you can look at. And then also what hasn't worked and what lessons learned are from there. So I'm gonna wrap up with some great examples of communicating in a crisis. These are from the last year during the pandemic. Um, you know, great examples of companies and, and associations that were a great resource. 
So really looking at your assets again and maybe taking out that e-blast that was launching a new product, but hey, here's the monthly economic date, or this is how we're helping you get through the pandemic. Great example here from Crichton International. I really liked it. It's here's what's coming up. Here's some resources to help you navigate through the current challenges. Um, our client Madison took a really fun approach last March. We actually last minute pulled the project case study e-blast we were sending out. It just didn't seem like the right time to do that, obviously, when people are being sent home and um, the world was in turmoil. So as a proud contractor in Philadelphia, we put together a list of, hey, if you're at home, your kids are at home, here's some neat things you can do online. You can visit the zoo, the opera, some other different museums. And here are things that you can do at home for free. So that's not something you would traditionally get from Madison, but it was really, really well received. It showed the human element of them. And then I loved this example, an architecture firm. Um, it says events were attending from home. So they wanted to make sure that the message was still out there that, yeah, pandemic is, has really impacted all of us. We're still working. Not only are we still working, we're still learning. These are the events that we're still going to, how, albeit this, we're doing it from home. They also show here how they support and what things they're doing in the community. They offered a little bit of that fun with a coloring book, et cetera. So great example of how you can continue to get your message out. And then one of my most favorite examples was from CTS Cement. All of their organization, uh, all of their communications during the pandemic fit under these four categories, health of CTS employees, health of our supply lines, health of sales, and then health of CTS. So everything they did to employees, to um, different vendors, to clients, all fit under these four categories. So everybody began to expect it. Um, and this was a weekly um, update that came out. So great example. And then this is a mechanical contractor. If you remember back to the very early days of the pandemic, we were figuring out, oh, what's it gonna look like on the other side of this? Are we gonna have to change our HVAC system? Um, is the air spreading COVID in our buildings, et cetera? And they quickly assembled a bunch of resources, videos, um, in-person interviews, on camera, et cetera. Again, being a resource for your clients. Um, communicating early and often with your established channels. Hopefully that statement makes a little bit more sense now that we've talked about it. Um, and then compassion and leadership. That's something that has always been important from a crisis standpoint. But with the advent of how fast news spreads right now, whether it's through your employees, your client channels, or just the world at large, you know, everybody's got a smartphone and a camera and taking photos of things and posting things. Um, real important that you have a compassionate side and that you show the leadership you need to get on the other side of things. And then not forgetting to communicate with your employees as well. What was the biggest mistake you saw during the last year related to COVID from a crisis standpoint? So I think the, the biggest challenge or biggest mistake looking back is a lot of people or a lot of organizations were real great about getting their messages out right in the beginning and getting information out to folks. And then the efforts kind of fell down. Um, talked to too many companies that, you know, sent something out in March or April and we're real gung-ho, and then employees were left wondering, what does this look like? What does return to work look like, et cetera? So you really need to be very consistent about getting that information out and making sure that those messages are consistent. How many people should be on your crisis team? 
Great question. Um, I think I might have mentioned it, but hopefully somewhere between seven, nine. When we get anything beyond that, we end up having a little bit of groupthink. Um, you know, research shows if we get up to 10, it's real easy for somebody to jump out, maybe not participate as much, maybe, maybe not be as engaged. So real important that those that are there are really participating in everything. Okay, I do have another question. Do you have special advice regarding crisis situations relating to IT, for example, ransomware events? Oh, gee, that's, that's a tough one. And it's unfortunately, we, we've lived with um, a couple of clients have had that situation recently. Yeah, I mean, this is one where you actually need to get um, legal involved, you need to get your financial people involved as well. Um, and it's, the rules are a little bit different in that one in terms of um, what you communicate and, and how often, but super important that um, you, I mean, more than anything, you have to be operating from a plan in that case because you need to make sure that you are informing your clients um, and the customers, you know, especially if it impacts their money. Um, you know, we, I think we've all at some point received a letter from a bank saying that your information has been compromised, et cetera. So that's where having a plan in place is going to be huge. Great, thank you, Kimberly. Thank you everyone for joining us. I encourage you all to check out um, AOE's website, aoeteamcrisisexperts.com and our AOE team webinar, webinars.com for all of our previous webinars. And as always, please check out our, our website, aoeteam.com. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope this session provides value and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. For more information about AOE, please visit our website at www.aoeteam.com.